Good morning, good morning. Thank you so much for joining me. This is the podcast God's Holy Word. I'm your lovely host, Leslie Sullivan, and today is episode 66 and we're going to be reading from Exodus chapter 10. So what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be reading from the Amplified Bible and this is a great Bible. I actually just got it. I absolutely love it. It came recommended by Joyce Meyer in one of her shows and I thought, you know, If she recommends something I should definitely take a look at and it is a great bible. So I got mine on amazon.com. It is amazing. I love this bible. It's a beautiful edition. It's leather bound. I just love this bible. It just reads so well. It's just great. I love it. So what I'm going to be doing is I'm just going to be reading from God's holy word and talking about what this um what this means and what we can learn and glean from it because there's so much wisdom all throughout the holy bible it's it's not just in proverbs or wisdom although those are very great books they're wonderful god's wisdom and his holiness is all throughout the holy bible the old testament and the new testament so that's why it's important for us to read his word and to really dive into it and i did not understand that for years i was always just kind of like well i'm not really sure what i'm reading Well also I was reading a bad translation way back in the day. I don't even I don't even remember what translation it was, but it was so horrible I donated my Bible. <laughs> That's how bad it was. And it actually had my name engraved in the leather. I was like I don't want this. So somebody else can be Leslie Sullivan, I guess, while they're reading that Bible. And then I felt bad for donating it because it's a horrible translation. This one is not a horrible translation. The Amplified Bible, it is great. Um I I haven't really been able to put it down since I got it just a couple days ago and it's just amazing what all is in here. And uh, what's interesting about this Bible is that this is a very interesting translation. There is a woman, I can't think of her name. I think it's and her last name looks like Stewart or Stewart, but it's spelled slightly different. Um her husband was a minister and when he passed away, she really wanted to help the body of Christ. You know, it's almost like he passed the torch to her. And so what she did was she helped to translate the Bible that is more based on Greek and Hebrew. And I would agree with her on this that she she really focuses on being more definitive, being more descriptive with the words here because what we need to remember is that English is a dead language, which is why it is so difficult to translate Greek and Hebrew into English. So she really wanted to make sure that whenever people are reading the Bible that they have a a full understanding or at least understand as much as possible what the original Greek and Hebrew translation were saying and still are speaking to us to this day. So that's why it's very important to get a translation that really sings to your heart and that makes sense to you. Now if this translation doesn't make sense to you, I'm not offended. Not by any means you get whatever bible floats your boat because that is where God will speak to you. So by all means, you know, you don't have to take my advice. You know, do what God tells you to do because I'm not God, not by any means. I I am I am not him by any means. But it's one of those things that you need to find what works for you because only what works for you is what will make sense to you. And so that's why I'm always into reading different translations and figuring out okay, what do i understand immediately and then what can i grow in you know what i mean cuz there was a translation i read years ago that i i didn't even know what seeds it was planting in my heart because the translation was irritating me so bad so 
I was just like, what am I supposed to do? And I felt bad because I was reading God's holy word, but I wasn't getting anything out of it. Has anybody else felt that way? I know I have. It's it's been rough. So, you know, FYI, if ever you've been frustrated with a translation, write me back. There's a message link on my podcast and it will directly come to my email and I would love to hear your thoughts, concerns, suggestions or you know just how God has blessed you. I would love to hear that. But let's go ahead and take a look um at this here and I'm only going to do these in 20 minute sections so that way it's short and sweet and to the point and then we will just keep on going from episode to episode. So let's take a look here. I'm going to be reading from the Amplified Bible and it's uh, Exodus chapter 10. So let's go ahead and dive in. It says then the Lord said to Moses. I love that. The very first thing it says in this verse, then the Lord said to Moses. For those that think that God doesn't speak to us, I am happy to say, which it's rare for me to say something like that. I'm happy to say you are completely wrong. Because God speaks to us all the time. It's just sometimes we're not listening. And our heavenly Father cares about us very much and get this. You know, the Lord took the time to actually speak to Moses. It wasn't just you figure it out Moses. I'm tired of leading you. I'm tired of having to give you advice or suggestions. You're not trainable. You irritate me. No. The Lord didn't say any of that muck. Although sometimes we speak to each other like that, right? Sometimes bosses speak to employees like that. I know I've been disrespected as an employee and I just thought, you know, that boss is a little weird and needs Jesus, <laughs> you know. They need to calm down. But, you know, this is very interesting that it says, "Then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh." So he's telling him to go do something. So there's action. Typically whenever God speaks to us, there's an action that he expects us to take on our part. So it's one of those things like, let's say for example, you're not happy with someone at work and God says you need to forgive them. Well, he spoke to you and the action that he's telling you to do is to forgive somebody. And what a a loss it would be to not do what God said to do. So this is very important because God knows that we need instruction. I know for me personally, I need instruction every day. You know, sometimes our world is very difficult and sometimes we're dealing with really weird people, people that are not um believers, people that are very much Christian haters sometimes, and I think that's very unfortunate in our world, but that that's the persecution of the church. But what's interesting is that God never leaves us nor forsakes us. He speaks to us and he, and he gives us ideas. He gives us things that we are supposed to do in our life in order to accomplish great and wonderful things that he wants to see come to pass not only just for him but for us because there's always that wonderful feeling of accomplishment well that's what god is doing here so not only is he is he guiding moses he's giving him something to do but also he's helping moses to free his people so whenever god tells us to do something it's not just some meaningless task it's actually very important even if it is minimal or minuscule You know, we may think it's not that important. Everything that God says is important. It doesn't matter how small it is because there are so many things that are very much in the details, very much. Then the Lord said to Moses, "Go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, making them determined and unresponsive, so that I may exhibit my signs of divine power among them." and that you may recount and explain in the hearing of your son and your grandson what i have done repeatedly 
to make a mockery of the Egyptians. My signs of divine power, I'm going to underline that divine power. My signs of divine power which I have done among you. So he's he's making this visible. His signs, wonders and miracles. He wants us to see his goodness, but he also wants our enemies to see how powerful he is. So when God guards and protects you, whatever he does for us and is seen by us is seen as wonderful and marvelous. But because our enemies have been so horrible and so hateful, whatever is marvelous and a blessing to us is repugnant to our enemies, which is what this is talking about, and that's how it should be. My signs of divine power, which I have done among them, so that you may know, I love this, so that you may know without any doubt and recognize clearly that I am the Lord. Isn't that interesting? It says so that you may know. It doesn't say so that you might know or or so that you should know or you could know or you would know. So it's not shoulda coulda woulda. You know what I mean? It says so that you may know without any doubt. Any doubt. So basically have no doubt in God and recognize clearly meaning the fog has lifted that I am the Lord. Have you ever met people that have done everything they can to try and discourage you from the goodness of God? That's what this makes me think of. I've met so many bad Christians over the years. And Lord, I pray for them that they stop doing this bad stuff. But I've met so many bad Christians over the years. They think it's their job to be Debbie Downer and to discourage people and, and to and to agree with the bad situation as opposed to agree with what God says about something. Not what the enemy says, but what God says. I know for me personally whenever I talk or speak or pray about a situation and I and I'm just complaining or I'm just telling God what happened, I feel kind of sick. So I've learned over the years, you know, God already knows all that. So sometimes in my prayers, I say, well, You know, I'm not going to go into all that, Lord. You know, you know what happened, but what I do know is that you are good and you are not the author of anything evil. I'm so thankful for that. I love you, Lord, that you saw everything that happened and you are taking care of it every day of my life. And every day is a blessing day and it can only get better. Cuz I'm going from the pit to the palace. That's a lot better. then rehashing a whole bunch of stuff. I'm learning that. And sometimes I have to remind myself because it's very easy to go back to that rut. And ruts are not good for anybody, whether you are a believer or an unbeliever. But I think for I think for believers it's worse because we're not supposed to have ruts of any kind. Unbelievers they will have ruts because they're they're an unbeliever, unfortunately. But for us that believe we're supposed to have the goodness of God every day in our life and acknowledge that goodness of God in our life. I would rather acknowledge God than acknowledge the devil. That's why our prayers always need to be focused on prayer and praise. That doesn't mean that we ignore the situations. That doesn't mean that we can't go to God if we're really upset and we're crying. I mean, even King David had a really difficult life at times. and was very upset and when you read the book of psalm you know you see where he's happy sad miserable depressed joyful excited like you see basically all of the human emotions all of them but what's interesting is that 
King David is a great example to both men and women of how to get over your sorrow. And as Joyce Meyer would say, get over your sweet little self. Meaning stop living in self-pity. Self-pity does nothing for you but destroy your confidence. Your know, God has pity for you. So, what's the point of having self-pity? Like let God take care of you. Let God handle that problem. So don't get stuck in your rut. Goes on to say, so Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said to him, "Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews." That's quite an opening line, wouldn't you say? "Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews." So basically, listen up. They're telling the Pharaoh, "Hey, we worship the one true God." And what people tend to forget, cuz I don't know what kids are being taught these days in school, you know, especially with the critical race theory and that craziness, but what people tend to forget and maybe they're not being taught is that the Egyptians were a very pagan people during this point in time. They were pagan for thousands of years. And what we mean by pagan is they worshiped multiple gods. Multiple gods. So it's very interesting that their opening statement, almost every time they go and speak to Pharaoh is thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews. So they're saying that we serve one God, but we are many people. Meaning The Hebrews are united in one faith because we have one God. And our one God is stronger than all of your gods because all of your gods are just stone and wood. They are not true gods. They they are not real. They cannot do anything to save you. They cannot do anything to to represent you. They they cannot heal you. Um they technically cannot condemn you. See the Egyptians they I think you should really watch some documentaries about the Egyptians because their religion, I had no idea what all went went into it. Um, you know, when I think of the Egyptians, I just think of the pyramids and you know Cleopatra and you know she was really pretty. You know, we kind of have this this Hollywood way of thinking about idolizing the Egyptians and that culture, right? From thousands of years ago because no one idolizes Egypt these days. I mean, Egypt is a very it's it's a rough and tumble kind of country right now because of human rights violations especially against women and children but especially against women because of sharia law and things of that nature but um anyway what i didn't know until i did more research on the egyptian empire at that time and their religions technically it's plural because they were pagan they believed in spells and incantations and very strange things So it's one of those things that it, it was very similar and I say it with the utmost respect it it's very similar to the catholic faith in that they believe they can change someone's fate after they've died and we don't have the ability to do that that's that's god's job You know, when someone passes away, it's between them and God what happens to their soul. You know, like for example, you know, I can pray for someone all day and all night that's passed away. And I can pray that they go to heaven, but here's the thing. 
their soul is not my responsibility. Their soul was their responsibility. And what they decided to do or not do by omission in their life is their choice. And what's interesting is that the Egyptians, they would have incense, the Catholic Church has incense. The Egyptians had all these different priests. They had a priesthood. The Catholic Church has that. They think that they can change someone's destiny after someone's died. The Catholic Church believes that. Um there was something else that really got my attention with it. The Egyptians were different from the Catholic Church. See, the Catholic Church likes to suppress people. I know from being Catholic that's how it was and still is. You know, the Catholic Church they want you to have all these babies, babies, babies to have more Catholics and just populate the earth and take stuff over, right? But yet they don't focus on human sexuality as being a gift to us from God and that you can actually enjoy sex with your spouse. The Egyptians are completely different. They were very sexualized. I had no idea about this. I mean, who knows if they were just getting too much vitamin D or who knows what. I know they weren't wearing bikinis or anything, but um they definitely did wax, especially if they were priests, and they were both male and female priests in the in the Egyptian religion and in that society. And the priests, whether they were male or female, in the egyptian cult i would say um they would have to shave all their hair that meant armpits legs groin and their head so what people don't realize is that most egyptians shave their head even if they were not a priest most egyptians especially if you were elite so if you had a shaved head you were either considered a scribe a priest or a priestess or you were super rich and you were in basically the aristocracy of that society or you were pharaoh or you were in his court when people had hair on their head they were not shaving it they were usually slaves which would be the hebrews here or you were imprisoned or you were a foreigner you were not considered the elite very interesting there so there there's there's so many differences here at these with you know between these two different cultures basically so What's really interesting is that the Egyptians really took it far in terms of they wanted to have a great sex life in the here and now, but also when they when they're dead. So there are actually hieroglyphs of them um basically either getting sex or they're going to like the god of fertility and they want to have really great sex not only in the here and now but when they're dead. Who would have thought? And that's the direct opposite of the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church just loves to suppress people. You know, they want the babies. They want the kids. They especially want the little boys, especially to go into the priesthood, which is evil and wicked, you know, for their reasons what they want to do. But it's all those things like, you know, if you're going to talk about babies and children and families and marriage, sexuality is there as well and also enjoying your body. enjoying your spouse. You know what's sad is that sometimes pagan cultures understand human sexuality way more than some of these stupid prudes that go to church. And if you're a stupid prude, I think you need to grow up because you're missing out on what God wants for you. God wants you to be married. He wants you to procreate. 
and he wants you to have a wonderful marriage and sex is part of that if you go to a church that demonizes procreation and actually enjoying your love life you need to go to a different church now say this in the same token if you're going to a church that talks about sex all the time and mocks it makes fun of it and makes it seem like it's okay for men to um talk about sex publicly in kind of a derogatory manner kind of like sow your oats kind of thing then you need to go to a different church because that's not appropriate it just isn't so you know you need to find some middle ground here because in regards to sexuality that's where you're going to be the the most happy or the happiest excuse me because mankind should be happy in all areas you know of their life what what is not good is whenever we fall for a false dogma that perverts something that God created and then it pulls us away from the covenant that God created with Abraham and we are Abraham's children as Abraham's children we have every right to get married and have great sex that that's part that's part of God's law and that's part of the blessing So what's really sad to me is whenever you have cultures and societies like the Egyptians they take it to the extreme. They have orgies, they have all this stuff, but then you have these stuck-up snobby prude Christians that's like you can have sex but you can't enjoy it. Well, doesn't that kind of defeat the purpose of actually dating someone? Like I don't mean that you're going to be having sex with someone when you're dating, but you know You want to be interested in someone sexually. Otherwise, you're not going to like them, love them or fall in love with them. And if there's no love in the procreation act, then you're basically violating God's covenant because you've taken sex out of what God intended as a blessing for mankind. Which is why premarital sex is wrong, adultery is wrong. Um having multiple wives is wrong, that's polygamy. Um pornography is wrong, prostitution is wrong. Bestiality is wrong. Incest is wrong. Anything that you take out of God's covenant, it automatically becomes perverted. Be- it, I describe this, it automatically becomes perverted because you're not operating in a holy manner and to be operating in a holy manner doesn't mean that you're like one of those stupid monks in the Monty Python the Holy Grail where they're saying some spiritual line and then they whack themselves in the head with a board you know <laughs> which is really funny who would have thought Monty Python and the Holy Grail would hit the nail on the head in terms of religion in the Catholic Church I mean they're totally right it's just why would you repeat a line over and over again and yet expect to get different results such as insanity but it's one of those things that to be holy doesn't mean to be serious all the time there's a time and place to be serious and here in exodus is a perfect example of when they are serious and every time moses and aaron go see the pharaoh what you need to realize is that they're speaking to a pagan nation 
And just FYI, pharaohs typically married or they could marry their sisters. And then they had multiple wives. And they had orgies. So they're basically breaking every law basically within God's covenant. So they're not in covenant with God whatsoever. They basically the try to think of the best way to describe this because there's so much to say about the Egyptians. Maybe I should do some episodes about their culture. But um basically instead of the Egyptian empire believing in God because they knew about God because they're like, well these slaves worship one God, why would we want to do that? Let's oppress them more. Well that just inflamed God's anger. So that's why the Egyptians were extremely punished because they just chose to not do God's will and word and did not want to believe in him. But the Egyptian empire, their society, instead of having morals and values per se, they just legalized a lot of sexual immorality based on creating another god, a false god, to give them permission to do what they want. here in this life and then what they think is in the in the next life when when they're dead that's why they had these spells and incantations and and these temples and these altars and these idols it was all about the flesh it was all about what can i feed my flesh what can i feed my unhealthy desires and i say unhealthy desires because there's a healthy desire and a unhealthy desire The lifestyle that the Egyptians had was very unhealthy in terms of their soul, their character, their morals, their values, their ethics. It was a, an amazing society in terms of structure and architecture and, and design and things of that nature, but they had a lot of problems. A lot. And so that's why it's so important to realize that when Moses and Aaron go and speak to Pharaoh, And Moses knows that these people are pagan. He knows what all they did and what they do because he was raised in Pharaoh's house. So Moses and Aaron every time they go speak to Pharaoh, mind you, it's in the court, like a royal court. So they've always got witnesses. They've always got, you know, ladies of the court, men of the court, um the priests are usually there, the scribes are usually there to document all the meetings, things like that. um I, w- i would compare it to like whenever our senate has a committee hearing and they have people come in and give testimony it's just like that but this is within the egyptian empire when they did not have c-span so that's why they had scribes and that's why they recorded stuff on papyrus and in terms of hieroglyphs and on the walls in their tombs and in their pyramids and on their i think they're called pylons if if that's the what the name of those pillars are called but um So my point is this, every time Moses and Aaron are speaking to Pharaoh, they know they're speaking to a very pagan individual who has no desire to change whatsoever because most pharaohs at this time were seen as chosen by whatever god they worshiped that was in charge of pharaohs. They they the, the Egyptian empire had this mindset that the pharaohs chosen by one of their gods to be ruler of their empire and the Egyptian empire actually had the audacity and the arrogance to think that they are the empire of the world 
and that nobody else exists beyond their borders and if they do exist they're going to conquer them which they did conquer some people but it that's just the arrogance of the elitist and that is very common within pagan cultures back then and even today that's why whenever you go visit other countries It's very shocking to Americans, even Americans that don't even really practice their Christianity, uh, their Christian faith. They're shocked by the gods and the the um the pagan culture and religion that takes place in these other countries and just the the craziness that takes place in these other countries because wherever there is chaos, there is usually someone worshiping a different god. and they're turning their back on the one true god that can actually help them. And if you think about Pharaoh and his people, they could have easily said, "Wow, your god is really powerful. Can we convert?" They could have done that. They could have given their their lives to God. They could have torn down their altars. They could have destroyed their their idols. But here's the thing. Whenever someone thinks they're better than somebody else, especially when they're wrong, which most of them are wrong, they will not change. See, Pharaoh's heart, yes, it was hardened by God, but his heart was already being hardened by his lifestyle, his pagan lifestyle of not doing what's right on a daily basis. That's the point of this. And Moses and Aaron know this, especially Moses. Cuz if you think about it, Moses was raised in a pagan culture and and in a pagan society, was basically next in line almost to be pharaoh. And he was in the royal house of pharaoh, and then he has to leave and he realizes who he is. He's a Hebrew. Like can you imagine living in a royal palace and then you go from living in a royal palace to living in basically a mud hut that's basically what happened to Moses however god was with him the entire time and i find it very interesting that god chose Moses for a very specific reason he wanted someone that had been in Pharaoh's house previously so that whenever he called the people out the Pharaoh would be hearing from someone that used to live in the presence of the Pharaoh and is telling him to his face you are wrong see that's one of the divine plans of God that's why i love that where it says my signs of divine power See divine power supersedes a pharaoh's power. A pharaoh's power is nothing compared to our heavenly father. Absolutely nothing. And I'm I'm grateful for that cuz how many bad people have you come across in your life that seem super powerful, they hate you, can't stand you, maybe they try and harm you. And it seems like they've got all the cards. But they don't. They do not. because we as Abraham's descendants and as God's children are under the protection of our heavenly father so it doesn't matter what cards are in your enemy's hand God supersedes that card game he supersedes any sign 
that your enemy portrays that they have defeated you. That's why, you know, whenever we're praying, we shouldn't be focused on the bad signs of life like oh there's inflation, there's unemployment, you know, there's all this. Turn that around. You know, I say this respectfully, so what if there's inflation? In my father's house are many mansions. The streets in heaven are made of gold. Do you think that God can't help you with with the prices on earth? You know the prices of gas, housing, utilities, whatever the case may be. You know what? The more prices go up, the more I ask God to give me in terms of money. I pray I get a raise at my job. I pray I get an increase here, I pray I get an increase there. That's how we turn things to the positive. And I'm getting close to 40 minutes, but I really want to finish this up. So it says, so Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go so that they may serve me. Isn't that interesting? That says, how long will you refuse? Because he knows the Pharaoh is refusing. Why? Because he thinks he's at the top of the food chain. How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? God knows who's arrogant and who's not. God knows who cares and who doesn't. I find that very fascinating. Goes on to say, for if you refuse to let my people go, so he's giving him a warning. For if you refuse to let my people go, then hear this. So it's a promise. Tomorrow I will bring migratory locusts into your country. Now some people might not understand the severity of locusts, and I'm going to get a drink here. Hold on just a second. Okay, so why would the threat of locusts be so serious during this time frame in history? The reason why it would be a tremendous threat and a plague and a pestilence is because most people during this time frame on the entire planet were farmers. Most people had to grow their own produce. They had to grow everything. They did not have grocery stores. Most societies, especially the Egyptian empire, they made a lot of money off of their wheat and I think barley. Cuz one of those is used to make beer. I think it's barley. And Egyptians loved their beer, that's for sure. So the threat of locusts was very serious because they could starve to death and also their economy could completely tank. Another aspect of this is when you look at the Egyptian I guess type of theology in terms of their cult religion I think it was every day the priest had to take food to every house of the gods that they had part of that food was their produce and their crops which include grain or barley and beer and all this stuff because they actually thought 
that these gods came alive in their temples and ate the food and consumed it. And they practiced this for thousands of years. And I just wonder, you know, did someone ever sneak in and eat the food and that's how they thought that the god actually woke up from their statue state and ate the food or was it just rotting there every day? Would it never dawn on them, "Hey, this is really just a statue and it's never eating anything?" See, that's the stupidity of a false religion. That's the that's the lie of a cult. You keep doing the same thing but expecting a different result even though what you're doing is wrong. It goes against God's law and it's also a waste of food. See, the the priest in the well this is very similar to the Catholic Church. Um the priest in the Egyptian empire were very wealthy because of their granaries. Like they may not have had wealth in the bank so to speak. but they were very rich because of the temples that they had where where the gods resided the massive amounts of food that they claimed they had to have access to in order to feed the gods to appease them it's very similar to the catholic church in that the priests take this vow of poverty which is to me a, a load of horse manure because they're always asking for money it seems like And then you see these churches, these beautiful cathedrals and yes they're beautiful, but it's like that takes a lot of money to build that. So the Catholic Church is not broke. Now some of the parishioners may be extremely broke and the Catholic Church is not exactly helping the poor like they should, my personal opinion, but the priest had a lot of control over the finances. Very similar to the Catholic Church and the Vatican these days. So the threat in regards to the Egyptian empire was very serious when it says tomorrow I will bring migratory locusts into your country. That means you're not going to have any food for your people, for your gods, and your currency will tank because you will have nothing to trade with other empires, nothing. So that's why that's serious. We're not just talking about your know, grasshoppers or those really pretty locust bugs what we call them here in Oklahoma they make that loud noise and they're really pretty you know we don't understand farming like these people did cuz there were not very many occupations in the Egyptian empire you were either the pharaoh his wife a scribe um a priest or you were a slave or you would be an aristocrat in pharaoh's court that was it there was no there wasn't really a public sector and a private sector it was just an empire and the empire decided your occupation basically it's very similar to the caste system in india which still takes place where whatever Whatever kind of work you're born into, that's where you stay for the rest of your life. There's really no way, there was really no way for you to move up in social class unless you married up, which would have been for women, not for men. Cuz it would have been very rare for a wealthy woman to marry a poor guy and someone that, you know, is not an elitist. It would have been very much unheard of. 
So just be aware of that. But anyway, that's why this is such a serious threat about the locust. Goes on to say, being very specific, they shall cover the visible surface of the land so that no one will be able to see the ground. So they will see the threat. It will be evident. So it's not an empty promise or an empty threat. It is going to come to pass and they're going to see it firsthand. and they will eat the rest of what has remained that is the vegetation left after the hail and they will eat every one of your trees that grows in the field so they won't have any fruit think about apple trees cherry trees lemon trees orange trees all this stuff all their trees they'll be eaten your houses and those of all your servants and of all the egyptians shall be filled with locusts you won't get away from them as neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have seen from their birth until this day then Moses turned and left Pharaoh so he said all this didn't give him a chance to speak he just turned and left that's powerful see that's what it means to have God on your side you just say it like it is and you can walk off amen i love that i love it because god's word is true That's why everything we speak should be based, should be based, excuse me, on God's holy word. Let me get a drink here. Now, when I say based on God's holy word, that doesn't mean that you're just throwing out Bible verses all the time, not making sense and not having a normal conversation because that's dumb and stupid. What I'm talking about is Moses was speaking technically God's word to Pharaoh but defending his people. See the Bible was not written yet at this time, but he is speaking the word of God and at the same time defending his people. See just because the Bible wasn't put together yet or wasn't printed yet that doesn't mean the word wasn't there. The word has always been with us. from the beginning of time because we have the father the son and the holy spirit the word was with god from the very beginning of time just because it wasn't put on paper and then sold on amazon yet doesn't mean that it didn't exist it did and that's what makes the word of god so powerful is that even when it's not printed on paper even when it's not in your hand it's still in your heart And God's word belongs to him and him alone, no other gods. No one. It goes on to say Pharaoh's servant said to him, "How long shall this man be a trap to us?" So Pharaoh's servants, basically some people in this court are saying, "Hey, you know, how long is this going to go on? We're getting sick of this. We're getting slammed here. You know, aren't we, you know, powerful? You know, can't we just acknowledge that hey, something's going on beyond our 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 cope here or our scope and we need to do something different goes on to say let the men go so that they may serve the lord their god so the servants are trying to say hey just just let them do what they want to do is it really worth all of this do you not realize that egypt is destroyed wow can you imagine the guts these servants had to have to say this to their pharaoh and to question their pharaoh woo i don't
don't know if I would do that with that kind of pharaoh. See, because there's a thing. Technically, it's unlawful to question the pharaoh. Because they think that he was appointed by one of their gods to rule the planet. And if you question the pharaoh, then you're basically questioning all their gods. That's why that is considered um, a very dangerous offense. And, and they're literally taking their life in their hands by questioning the pharaoh here. They've got some guts, I'll tell you that. And just so you know, the Egyptians had very cruel ways of torturing people and executing them. I mean, we may think of cruel and unusual punishment as like solitary confinement or um well, based on some of the stupidity of Canada, um arresting terrorists and then the terrorists complaining that you know they didn't have a swell time in prison so then the canadian government releases the terrorist and pays them millions of dollars <coughs> excuse me that's that's canada's socialist way of handling bad people they reward bad people so kind of down there anyway moving on so moses and aaron were brought back to pharaoh And he said to them, "Go, serve the Lord your God." He's like, "Go, I don't care. Who specifically are the ones that are going?" So the Pharaoh is saying, "Go, serve the Lord your God." Then he's like, "Which ones are going with you?" So he's not really serious. He's not really releasing anyone. So he's two-faced. This Pharaoh is two-faced. He's saying, "Yeah, go serve him. Go. I'm sick of you." But then he, but then he's like, "Who specifically are the ones that are going?" So he's still trying to control every little thing, and he's so stupid and a spoiled rotten little brat that he still does not realize that God is in control. He still doesn't get it because he's arrogant. He's pompous. He will not humble himself before the one true god that's why he dares to ask who specifically are the ones that are going meaning he's not going to release anyone or he's only going to release certain ones which will still hinder the hebrew people moses said we will go with our young and our old with our sons and our daughters with our flocks and our herds all of us and all that we have for we must hold a feast to the Lord. Well, that just about covers it. So Pharaoh, he was trying to get Moses to backpedal and say, "Well, as long as he's willing to let some people go, let's just pick you know, let's just pick some that can go and some that cannot." Moses did not fall for that. See, here's the thing, what you need to realize just because someone pretends to agree with you, that doesn't mean they're actually going to do what they say. And that's what happened here with Pharaoh. And that's why Moses answered, "Oh, we're taking everybody." Because everybody worships the one true God. See, Pharaoh thought he was being crafty. He was trying to get Moses and the Hebrew people to admit that not that not all the Israelites believe in the one true God. See that's why you have to be careful with people that are pagan and we do have pagans on this planet still to this day 
That's why you have to be careful with people that do not believe in God and or that are pagan because they will do everything they can to try and divide God's people. That's what Pharaoh was trying to do. He was trying to make it seem like only these Hebrews, only these particular Hebrews matter, these others don't. But Moses didn't fall for that. Thank goodness. And God was guiding him in everything. Goes on to say, Pharaoh said to them, "The Lord be with you to help you. If I ever let you go with your children because you will never return. Look, Before warned, you have an evil plan in mind. No, go now, you who are men without your families and serve the Lord, if that is what you want. So Moses and Aaron were driven from Pharaoh's presence. So Moses says, "Hey, we're taking everybody." Pharaoh says, "No, you're only going to take certain people." I find it very interesting That Pharaoh starts out with the Lord be with you to help you. That's a lie. He doesn't really believe it. See, that's a false compliment even though it's true that the Lord is with Moses and is helping him. But what's interesting is that the Pharaoh is using he's trying to use he's trying to use Moses's religion against him. That's why he says The Lord be with you to help you. He doesn't really mean it, because then he goes on to say, "If I ever let you go with your children, because you will never return." That's why the Pharaoh was asking, "Which ones need to go?" Because he he thinks none of them are coming back if I let them go. And he says, "Look, be forewarned, you have an evil plan in mind, really." All they want to do is go worship their god. And that's evil. The Egyptians, that that's so hypocritical for the pharaoh to say that because the Egyptians they get to worship all day and all night, have orgies, do all this stuff, but, but yet the Hebrews can't go worship their god even just one time. That's evil. Don't you don't you find it interesting whenever someone accuses you of the very thing that they're doing? It just is so ridiculous. And that's exactly what the pharaoh is doing. And the pharaoh says, "No, basically you're not taking all your children and all these people with you." He says, "Go now, you who are men." He's very specific without your families and serve the Lord. So he's saying, "Well, if you won't decide who's really worthy and important to serve your God, then I'll decide for you." If that is what you want. Well, guess what? It's not what they want. It's not at all what they want. So Pharaoh is the one that has an evil plan in mind. He's trying to cause division within the Hebrew people. And it doesn't work. And then it says so Moses and Aaron were driven from Pharaoh's presence, meaning they were kicked out of the palace. So previously Moses gave a pretty cool statement and then turned and walked away. You kind of like the the amazing exit, right? Here we're seeing that they were driven from Pharaoh's presence. He can't stand them. Because he's not getting his way. These people are not faltering to the Pharaoh. 
goes on to say then the lord said to moses so again god is speaking to moses so god does speak to us don't underestimate that then god said to moses stretch out your hand over the land of egypt for the locusts so that they may come up on the land of egypt and eat all the plants of the land all that the hail has left so basically the egyptian empire is not going to have anything left The hailstorm destroyed quite a bit, but now the Lord is going to finish them off with the locusts. So these people are basically going to go on a really long diet because it takes a long time to grow all those crops. So Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt. So basically God told him to do something, meaning you need to take this action and Moses did what he said. He didn't sit on the sidelines and say, "Well, why don't you do it?" Do I have to? I'm tired. He didn't do that. He did what God said to do. And the Lord brought an east wind on the land all that day and all that night. When it was morning, the east wind had brought the swarms of locusts. So God, he keeps his promises. The locusts came up over all the land of Egypt and settled down in the whole territory, a very dreadful mass of them. Never before were there such locusts as these. Never will there ever be again. Very interesting. So whatever happened with those locusts was so bad, it will it will never happen again on the face of the earth. That's how powerful God is. Goes on to say for they covered the visible surface of the land, so everybody sees it. There's no mistaking. Everybody sees it and they know what it is because God promised it. so that the ground was darkened that would be scary and they ate every plant of the land and all the fruit of the trees which the hail had left so nothing was spared there remained not a green thing on the trees or the plants of the field throughout all the land of Egypt talk about a famine it's getting serious here then pharaoh hurried to call for moses and aaron and he said i have sinned against the lord your god and against you oh so now he gets it but here's the thing just because someone admits they've done wrong doesn't mean they actually care to repent he's playing devil's advocate here right he says i have sinned against the lord your god and against you now therefore please forgive my sin only this once more and pray and entreat the Lord your God so that he will remove this plague of death from me. So the only reason why he's repenting or saying hey I've sinned is because he's sick of it. He he's not really acknowledging that what he did was wrong to the Hebrew people for like 400 years. His thinking is this is this is inconveniencing me. So why not you stop it? That's the only reason why he's saying, "Oh, I've sinned." But he's not really changing in his heart. That's the thing. Moses left Pharaoh and entreated the Lord. So he did what Pharaoh asked. Said, "Hey, I'll, you know, I'll go to the Lord. We'll see if he gives you another chance." So the Lord shifted the wind to a violent west wind, which lifted up the locusts and drove them into the Red Sea. Not one locust remained within the border of Egypt. So God keeps his promises even to people he can't stand if they repent. Isn't that interesting? 
But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart so that it was even more resolved and obstinate, and he did not let the Israelites go. Wow. Isn't it interesting that just previously the the Pharaoh says, "I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now therefore, please forgive my sin only this once more." Isn't it interesting that he says it's it's what he, it's what he doesn't say, right? He doesn't say, "Forgive me of all my sins." He doesn't say that because he doesn't think what he's doing is wrong. He's like, "Well, can you forgive just this one and I'll be happy?" That's not a true repentant heart. If someone thinks they've only done one thing wrong in their life, wow. They are delusional, right? They're a little weird. I've met some people like this and I'm like, "Wow, where do I feel like I've read about you before? It's not online, but it's in the Bible." So let's go ahead and finish up this chapter. I know I'm going way over, but I think it's really good. <clears throat> so it says, "Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the sky." So isn't it interesting that the Lord is in charge of all the earth. The land, the sky, the water like it covers all of it. All of it. Stretch out your hand toward the sky so that darkness may come over the land of Egypt a darkness which is so awful that it may be felt wouldn't that be terrifying you know i live in oklahoma and whenever there's a tornado the sky turns a very creepy color the clouds move really fast And there was one tornado I saw as a child. I'll never forget this one. I've seen so many of them. They just kind of blur together, but this one, the sky turned green. Green. And it was a terrible storm. It was it was terrifying. Can you imagine what the Egyptians felt when they saw that darkness? Cuz it says which is so awful that it may be felt. So not only do they see it, but they feel it. they feel the terror and the dread that's pretty powerful so moses stretched out his hand toward the sky and for 3 days a thick darkness was all over the land of egypt no sun no moon no stars isn't that interesting so there was no light whatsoever in egypt nothing that would be creepy The Egyptians could not see one another, nor did anyone leave his place for 3 days, so it's like they're quarantined out of fear. But all the Israelites had supernatural light in their dwellings. I'm going to underline that. But the Israelites had supernatural light in their dwellings. See, that's the favor of God. We serve a supernatural God. Far above any principality or pharaoh or government whatever the case may be we serve a supernatural god and he can give us supernatural light i love it goes on to say then pharaoh called to moses so again he's like whoa i made another mistake then pharaoh called to moses and said go serve the lord but he has a, he has a trick up his sleeve 
Only your flocks and your herds must be left behind. Even your children may go with you. So he's still making conditions. Well, who makes conditions to our God? That's how dumb this Pharaoh is. But Moses said, you must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings so that we may sacrifice them to the Lord our God. So Pharaoh is trying to break them of their of their faith and their religion because he's already tried to break their backs with slavery, right? He's saying, "Well, I'll let you go, but you're not going to take what you need to actually worship your God." How cruel is that? That's a slap in God's face. Therefore, our livestock must also go with us. Not one hoof shall be left behind. For we must take some of them to serve the Lord our God. Moses is not saying anything new. Even we do not know with what we will serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he was not willing to let them go. Then Moses, or sorry, then Pharaoh said to Moses, "Get away from me! See that you never enter my presence again." For on the day that you see my face again, you will die. Then Moses said, "You are correct. I will never see your face again." <laughs> so, very interesting. You know what's interesting is that the Pharaoh, he's 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 like a spoiled rotten little kid, because Moses is not giving in to Pharaoh, and so Pharaoh says, "Get away from me." Basically, you either do what I want or get out of here. That's a very spoiled, rotten person, right? I find it very interesting that the Pharaoh says, "See that you never enter my presence again. From the day that you see my face again, you will die." What's interesting is that Pharaoh's army will see the face of Moses again, and they all will die. See, that's how the Lord. That's one way, actually, how the Lord takes what the enemy meant for harm and turns it to good. That's one way He does that. Very fascinating, very fascinating scripture. I will go ahead and end this podcast because we're going over a little over an hour, but I did want to finish up that entire chapter. I thought it would only be about twenty minutes, but I was like, you know what? We should just go for it. We should just continue in God's holy word and just. Have a peaceful, wonderful time, and I love that. But I will go ahead and end this episode as usual. Until next time, I pray that you're happy, healthy, and whole. That you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week. Thank you so much. Bye bye.
Wait. 